0: hey look what we have found a big sound
1: in a small town far away from the bright lights they're making music every night
0: discover what is all around a big sound
1: Sound Small Town
0: with Sandy Carlton. Hi, welcome to season four of Big Sound Small Town. I'm your host, Sandy Carlton. Join me as musicians tell their stories about how they became musicians and the stories along the way.
1: Hey, this is Mickey Hayes um, on here on the station with my good buddy, and plugging my new book release, "Life on the Road with David Allan Coe." My life on the road with David Allan Coe, so I don't get sued. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, this uh, uh, this is a bunch of stories about what it was actually like in the outlaw country days, and working with David Allan Coe, and doing all the shows with David, and getting used to the outlaw life <laughs> and not being in jail <laughs> yeah. too many times yeah but, uh this is just we're going to be discussing my new book my life on the road with david allen Coe, and all the what happened backstage and on the road and living with the guy and playing with the guy in the david allen Coe band in the 70s and 80s
0: now now you worked for him several times right
1: uh i hold the record of quitting i think five times now <laughs> For some reason, they keep calling me back, but I don't know (laughs) why, but I keep going back. But I briefly went back with him on a national tour in 2015, started in 2014, in the fall of 2014, and then we went out on a national tour in 2015, which ended in Peoria, Illinois, for the uh, state of Illinois chapter of the Outlaws toy ride. Uh, which was another story in itself, which is included in the book, so buy my book.
0: <laughs> yeah, buy, buy his book to find out what, what happens there. Now, how about when was the first time you went to work? for? Tell, tell the story of how you actually got the job working with him to begin with.
1: I was broke, uh, living in a house in Garner, North Carolina with a country rock band, really good band, talented musicians. But we didn't make any money. We couldn't even afford electricity. Luckily, we had a farmer next door that had a fruit stand, and I would buy tomatoes, go to the grocery store, buy a loaf of bread and mayonnaise, Duke's mayonnaise, exactly. by the way. Exactly. We're Man, southern, We're south. southern yes. here. We're country. Yep, he's from but, the uh, south. But I no make doubt. tomato sandwiches, and uh, I got to the point where I was either going to have to get a girlfriend or a, jo- or a real job <laughs> to have a place to live and be able to f- feed myself. But out of the blue, I get a phone call. Uh, the, I used to play in a band called Band of Oz, which was a beach band pretty big on the Carolinas. And our sound man, Alan Hicks, which is nicknamed Wizard, was playing bass with David uh, after he left the Band of Oz. And he, Useless, was a friend of his. Useless is Wayne Sorles that worked with David as a lighting engineer. And... Uh, Alan told him to get in touch with me because he was gonna get married and get off the road and offer me the bass gig. So I accepted and they flew me to Arkansas and I stayed on the road for a week being the Road Tech guitar tuner for David. And at the end of the week, Alan told me he would introduce me and tell David that I'm could be the new bass player. So all of a sudden I was a new bass player and uh, David had a little trepidation about putting me on bass because he told me I was the best road tech he ever had. And I told him it was either play bass or I'm going home, so I got the job playing bass. That's pretty bold. Well, I'm a country boy. I'll tell you like it is, and you can take it any way you want it.
0: Well, obviously, he took it, so.
1: He took it, and uh, we did the first show at West Palm Beach Civic Center And I, before I started playing bass, and I tuned the guitar but it wasn't in tune. He came up and wanted the guitar. He went on stage. I gave it to him. I told him it wasn't in tune. He went on stage, hit the first chord. It sounded like shit. Looked at me with a prison stare, what we what the band would call it, as David was ex-convict. So he gave me the prison stare, and I just looked at him and smiled and gave him a thumbs up. I'm like, without saying so, I said, "I told you it wasn't in tune." Right. <laughs> but he liked that. He liked. David has a convict mentality. I'm sure. And unless you stand up to him, he's gonna run all over your yep. ass. And I'm a country boy, and I wasn't raised that way. <laughs> there you go. You pissed me off. I'm gonna say, buddy, whoa, wait. <laughs> what?
0: Were you Were you nervous that
1: first job with him? No, no.
0: I, I mean, I know you were an experienced musician, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, I wasn't.
1: Then. I wasn't really nervous. Uh, the only thing that got me is uh, I had one week. To learn his whole catalog. Yeah,
0: oh, that would be that part would be tough. Yeah, he
1: at that point he probably had ten or twelve albums out. Yeah. And with David, you never knew. Right then, I didn't know what his pattern was, so I didn't know how to segue. We did a three. We used to do three-hour non-stop shows. Our show was three hours long, no breaks. No breaks. And he would segue with his guitar right into the next song. Really? Yeah. So you had to. But after being with him for a while, I figured out his pattern. He would, David always liked to play a lot of songs with the D chord, but he didn't because the songs he was comfortable with his voice range. He would capo the guitar on the third fret, which allowed him to play the D chord instead of having to play an F. Right. So he's so he
0: singing in the key of F, but he he's was singing kind of in off. the key of F. Yeah.
1: And it took me a couple of weeks, and I finally figured out instead of playing my bass in F, I just tune it different. Ah. Uh-huh. And then I can play it in D. Right. But it's still F right. for him. Right. And that made it a lot easier for me and the guitar player to be able to follow Sure. It. Now, And the only songs we did in, in open would be, uh, I think we did uh, Take This Job and Shove It would be open. Uh, Perfect Country and Western Song was yeah. open. Yeah. yeah. You
0: know. Well, yeah. uh, did... Uh, uh, He's a big storyteller. I mean, I've seen him a bunch of times. So, oh, yes. so those songs, those stories of his, kind of vary in length, don't
1: they? Yeah, when we first back in those days, we would do his his catalog. We might slip in a you know a Willie song because he always liked to boast on stage that we were part of the Willie Nelson family. Oh. And I'm sitting over there thinking. Every time he announced that, I say, "Yeah, we're part of the Willie Nelson family. We're the black sheep <laughs> of the family, but we are
0: part of the family." <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know how you knew when to come in because I, I've heard him t- tell the story about a song in one minute. It'd be f- oh, yeah. one time it'd be five minutes, and next time it'd be ten.
1: You just had to be on. You had to. After a while, you learn how you look at him, and you could tell where he's going. And you always knew, if he's got the capo on the third fret, you knew it was going to be a D. Right. A chord. It'd be right. an F, right. but it would be a D. That's uh, as playing on a guitar. And you, we would do the whole show, it would be in the capo third fret. Right. And then we would do the last two songs. would be Take This Job. But the very last song was the perfect country and right. western song that a lot of people don't know. Steve Goodman and John sure. Prine wrote that song. Right, they did. So yes, they I, I'm did. giving credit as yeah. opposed to what David did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or Johnny Patrick. <laughs> or Johnny Paycheck.
0: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, for you listeners, David David did write Take This Job and Shove he It. Did.
0: He did write Take This Job and Shove It. <laughs> um, uh, actually, from his time at Earl Owensby Studio, I believe. Oh,
1: EO. EO. Yeah, I've got a uh, nice little long story about we uh, we did a movie called Lady Grey with uh, Elvis's old girlfriend that, you know, she was living with him when uh, she discovered him. She said, Elvis said uh, she went to bed and Elvis got up and went and left. So she woke up about, uh, I actually know this because we, uh, an after party when we were shooting a movie, uh, me and my drummer, Doug Cackworth. You might know him. He played with Paycheck for me. But uh, my drummer, we were sitting talking to uh, uh, the actress, uh, and or Elvis's girlfriend and she told she started telling us true story of what happened that Red, that worked with Elvis
0: mm-hmm. and
1: a couple other guys had brought Elvis a bunch of uppers and downers that day all through the day. right and evidently it was way too much she got up about four o'clock in the morning she told me and went to the bathroom and he was already curled up around the toilet and already had turned blue wow. and um, and about that time, her mother came and got her. Come to find out later, she, they had a lawsuit against Elvis Presley Estate because he had left her a house, oh. but he died before he could give it to oh, her. Oh, before he could give it so to her. So it was her. all in litigation about oh. who was going to get the house. Wow. And so her mother grabbed her and pulled her away because she didn't want her to spill the beans, I guess. But so I got the true story from the there, horse.
0: There you go. So so we know he's actually dead. Oh he did.
1: <laughs> she walked in, she said I walked in and he was curled up around the commode and already turned blue. There you go. Yeah.
0: We know he's not living in Poke Board.
1: That's also another story in the book, you guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're gonna have to get this book. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> now now it's been told to me. And you can tell me how much truth there is of this. So are you responsible for getting Warren Haynes in David's band.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was. We'd finished shooting the movie, and uh, we had a guitar player in the movie that was a friend of our steel guitar player. Uh, our guitar player, David called Wes, our lead guitar player, the youngest son, right. and he called Dale Siegfried, who was our steel guitar player, the oldest son right they weren't really his sons right but, uh, but anyway uh i was thump- coming through uh, a girlfriend i had in Asheville, north carolina and i stopped over to see her on my way back to nashville and we went out to eat and she knew that i wanted to see you know if there's any bands right. playing and she had one playing at a place called the brass tap yeah. in, in merriman avenue in Asheville.
0: Did, did, did his brother own that bar possibly no, no. okay
1: But I I went to see him, and uh, they had a band called Ricochet, and Warren was a young 19-year-old kid, skinny back in those days, (laughs) but uh, he was just on fire, man. You you can tell when somebody really got their soul in them, you know, when they're playing, and he had it. Yeah. So I got his number, and uh, three months later, we were uh, in Florida. No, we uh, we were in. um, uh, our one of our truck drivers uh, houses down uh, in Baton Rouge and I told Mimi the guitar player just wasn't cutting it he just right. it was stiff it didn't have the feeling you know yeah so I, so I got a I got a player for you so I had her call Warren and I listened in and she asked Warren what he was doing the next day and he said well nothing she said well, we got you a ticket <laughs> be in Baton Rouge so I had road crew pick him up that afternoon and and brought him in and I I told him I said well, you know I told him before on the phone and that we'd give him a week or so to get used to the tunes and sure. then we'd get him up on stage. But the guitar player I'd already fired that we had, so oh, Warren yeah. didn't know. Uh, so I, I told Warren I said pick you out a guitar. He picked out a Stratocaster. I said okay, we're on in ten minutes. <laughs> I'm one of those trial by fire sure. guys. You well, either got it, it or yeah. you ain't. Right he got up on stage and burned it man and after the show I took him to David's bus and David gave him approval and he was our guitar player wow yeah that's pretty cool
0: yeah yeah I'd heard that story and it's true
1: yeah it's true I I just gave him a call Mimi Coe was David's wife legal wife might say (laughs) legal people that know David know what I mean uh, he went through his Mormon stage. Yes,
0: uh, I remember when he went through the Mormon stage. So
1: that was his excuse to have more than one woman. Okay, got but, you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's how Warren got hired uh, with David. And uh, we all quit at the same time. So, oh, really? Yeah. Well, we did a uh, one of those... Uh, was
0: this the first time you quit?
1: That was the first time I quit, yeah. Okay. Well, we did a live radio show uh, for Silver Eagle Network mm-hmm. in Bonifay, Florida at uh, some big ball field or something and and we packed up and we hit the first truck stop about 70 miles north going back to, to uh, we were living in Ruskin Cave then oh really in Dixon Tennessee yeah Yeah, an old Civil War house wow about 15 or 16 of us one bathroom no AC no no nothing just an old plank wood house you know but uh, we were supposed to meet at the Hall of Fame Motor Inn and get our money and we were off for a week. Right. Well, David had left word that we had to go to Dixon. And we we're like, well, all our people are here to pick us up. You know, I'm on, I'm driving. That was, I was still driving the band bus. Right. Uh, and uh, so I'm like, we're all cussing. So the closer I got to, uh, to Dixon, to the Ruskin cave, <laughs> the more pissed off I got. By the time we got there and parked, I was so pissed off. I just slammed my fist into the right side window, front window of the bus, and completely shattered it, And uh, which I didn't tell David. But <laughs> we went into his rock house. He had built this rock house. It looked like total. Well, <laughs> we won't go there. But we walked in, and I told him. I said, Dave, we're quitting. You can't quit. Yes, we can. We just did. But I, I didn't tell him that until after we got paid.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I was wondering that. I was wondering if you're going to get
1: paid on this. So he made a remark of, uh, well, I can go down to Lower Broadway and hire a band for half of what I pay y'all. I said, well, yeah, true, and you'll get half a band. <laughs> but that was it, and that was the first time I actually quit. We all quit in mass. So. Big Al, the drummer, me, uh, Rodeo, uh, Warren, and th- I think Tommy Irwin was playing still with us then. So he quit. We all quit at the same time that night. And formed a band, me and Warren formed a band called Rich Hippies. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it lasted about eight months. And due to excessive drinking on the road and fighting. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then what happened? So uh, I was off for a couple of months, and then Mimi called me up and said that David wanted me back in the band. And I said, well, I'll come back, but the only thing I do is play bass. I don't drive the bus. I don't unload. Right. I don't set up. I said, call me that's where warren and i got the nickname i was hollywood and he was fat man oh so we uh we were late coming into a sound check somewhere up north and uh we, we got there we had to take a, a bus to get there because we missed our bus they pulled out and left us in atlanta oh. because pop co who's david's dad was taking care of the rooms and we had changed rooms because the AC didn't work the night before. So Pop checked our room when we weren't in there, so he figured we were on the band bus sleeping. So they left. We got the knock on the door, and the maid's gonna clean the room up. I said, that's okay, we're, we're leaving in a little while. And she said, well, y'all on them buses? And we said, yeah. She said, well, they left about an hour ago. And so <laughs> we had We had to go to Trailways Bus Station, downtown Atlanta catch a fucking trailways bus that stopped in every p-dink town oh, yeah. you could go we finally got there late and we we're walking down the aisle of the theater coming down to the stage and when david stops the band and goes well hollywood and fat man are here <laughs> <laughs> but that's where we got our nicknames that's funny but yeah we uh that was the first and shortly after that i think when i quit again i was in florida at the house we had a house uh in Florida, Big Pine Key, uh, mile marker
0: 34. Yes, yeah, a long ways down there.
1: Yeah, and David pissed me off, so my uh, mater, Harold Lacoste, he was from Baton Rouge, but he drove the, uh, the Kenworth. Our uh, equipment. Darty, who was a past president of Outlaw Chapter in Illinois, drove the old Jimmy style with the motor, yeah. you know, and, uh, and uh, that was our merchandise lighting truck. And then Mater drove the equipment truck. So Mater had an old Dodge van he sold to me. The tires were slick, so I took it down to our station, had them put four new tires and a spare on there. And when they asked me, who's paying for it? I said, just give the bill to (laughs) David. And I took off and went straight back to North Carolina. That was the second time I quit. And funny, David never said a word to me when they hired me back again. Really? He never said a word about it.
0: Just let it go.
1: So mm-hmm. I guess Mimi probably took, uh, Mimi was still married to him, and I guess she took care of the bill. <laughs> but, you know. Hey,
0: what are you going to do? You got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. He
1: still owes me money, by the way. David, if you're out there, pay me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I understand. I understand.
1: Uh, a <laughs> friend of mine wrote a song about Bo Diddley, you know, out back in those days, how they white people yeah. would rip them off yeah so he rewrote Bo Diddley's song it was pay Bo Diddley
0: Mike Henderson <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah Mike Henderson I know Mike yeah. yeah Mike's a good guy yeah
0: and a, and a fine musician yeah.
1: great voice man yeah that was the second time I quit old Dave <laughs> You yeah, know I like Dave we got along really well I mean the first year I was with him him and i went out and just did solo shows me and him playing acoustic guitars and me singing harmony and so we'd ride around on the limo he wouldn't let me drive by the way (laughs) funny story about that we were the only reason i remember this is the same day that john lennon got shot oh okay we were in uh somewhere down in louisiana mimi had scheduled him to go into a salon david and for all you David Allen co hardcore outlaws, we went to a salon. <laughs> David was going to get extensions. This was the start of the wigs. Okay. All right. This was the very start. So, we, and we were going and we kept passing the same station, service station. On the third time we passed his service station, I said, Dave, you know where we're at? And if he's pissed at you, you're getting an attitude. He always ended his sentence with, sir. He said, I know where we're going, sir. So I looked at him and my whole country boy going, well, that's the third time we passed that service station. Uh, you want me to go in and ask where the hell we are? <laughs> so he stopped. I went and got directions where we went. But I'm sitting there while he's getting his hair extension. That's when he got his beard. Right, yeah, braided, braided it down that too. Extensions. Yeah, But um, that, I was sitting in the, in the lobby waiting for him, and they came on the TV, Elvis, I mean, uh, uh, John Lennon had just got shot, oh. and that's how I remembered. Yeah, I can story. see where you could
0: put those two together.
1: So he came out with his new extensions <laughs> and his beard, all braided. You know, with the extensions yeah. in his beard too. David's always been overboard on shit. <laughs> you think? A little bit. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. always told people, I said, if you run a music shop or anywhere you're selling something and you want David to buy it, just tell him he can't afford it. Oh. He'll pay you anything you want. <laughs> Just telling me he can't afford it. There you go. <laughs> he gave me ten thousand bucks and told me to go into Miami Music Shop and buy all the amplifiers they had, and that was the beginning of our wall of amps. Oh, really? Yeah. That things were like seven, seven. Yeah, I tall, see, yeah. Stretched out all across the back of the stage. The picture of it on the back of my book. Okay. Back of a side shot. A friend of mine took, and uh, that's the back cover of the book. He did the front cover and the back cover. He's a uh, he's. Real close friend, a big fan of David's been there forever but uh yeah, the book's selling good and but it's got it's got over hundred and fifty photographs taken by me or friends of the band. you right. know what I've tried to do, David can be hard to get along with, but is a genius, I mean. To be a genius is to be insane anyway well, true but as far as writing a song who would have thought looking at this guy with all the tattoos and the right. shit he wears could write a song called would you lay with me in a field of stone true. yeah that's a great song yeah 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 it is and and it, like gypsy uh, i could go on and on some of the songs he wrote you look at him and where the hell do you he get that from? right you know hardcore convict ex-convict yeah but he could write songs did the- and the thing I loved about David, he could sit down, the best show I ever saw him do, we were in uh, St. Louis. And after the show, we went back to the hotel, and I went up to his room, and we had several outlaws and the girls and all that stuff. And we He sat down on the bed, played acoustic guitar for four hours. Wow. And not a word, you could hear a pen. Like a friend of mine wrote a song, it got so quiet, you could hear the paint drying on the wall oh yeah you know yeah. that's how it was that's just in the same way with crowds most of the crowds we ever played to david would start and he gets he telling stories which would segue into the right. next song and the next song and you just sit there just fucking blown away that's cool you know i mean that's and true that's right. an artist that's, that's an I artist
0: love. i agree i yeah. agree well he's as much a storyteller as he is a, a oh, singer yeah. you know yeah. It's a lot
1: of bullshit, but well, I mean, <laughs> you can tell a story. St-
0: <laughs> stories don't necessarily have to be true as long as they're good.
1: Well, I I learned from I learned a lot. I learned well. Uh, we had a meeting with Billy Sherrill right before we did one album, and we got to sit in Billy's office in Nashville. And Billy a yeah. legend in yes. Nashville, you know, I got Tammy and George. Sure. And, but uh, I sit there and listen. He had he would they would go back and forth on lyrics and what the meaning of the song was and right. billy would give him pointers right and i sat there and just soaked all that stuff oh, i sure. got it for free i didn't have to pay yeah, for school exactly. or nothing yeah. and i learned Oh, him this from is how you write a song that's too cool yeah so i learned from billy sherrill how yeah. you write a song
0: that's a you couldn't find much a better person to learn from i mean no. you look at the body of his work wow yeah,
1: yeah. he's he's uh he's passed on now but yep. uh, anybody in nashville in the music business that they hold him in very high regard. You can regard. see
0: why. I mean, all, this, all the stuff he's done, is
1: all good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. he made the remark, with he said, David was kind of squirrely and odd to look at, but he was a great voice and a great writer. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah.
0: Well, now, did y'all do, when y'all were out, during the time you were out, did uh, you do any of those uh, uh, <laughs> present tapes of his? Did y'all yeah, do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I guess I guess y'all did that in a more slick, we did place uh, than, than than a real concert, right?
1: Yeah, we did the second underground album. Yeah, and uh, in Nashville, uh, Shelby they had a studio called SST. So we went in on a, I think it was on a Saturday, or it could have been a Friday, and we went in early afternoon. And by 12 o'clock midnight, we had the whole album cut.
0: There's a bunch of songs on that thing, too.
1: Yeah, it, but uh, my favorite song is uh, Panheads. Mm-hmm. That was the only song I really cared for. But what, it was weird because we went in the studio and David had not planned it, and we didn't know any of the songs. He would start playing, so, okay, follow me, turn the tape on. Huh. That's how we recorded that Wow. One. Yeah. That's crazy. He'd go out on the porch, write, come back in, okay, it's in D. With capo wow and i i did ask him i said well what's the chord pattern let me write it down and he said just follow me and that's how we cut the whole second album wow and but that's where actually that's where i introduced david left for a little while while we were doing the mix down and when he came back he came back with guy clark his and his wife all right uh that actor don johnson yeah. used to do Miami, Miami Vice. Vice, yeah. yeah. Don John, and Greg and Dickie. Oh, really? So that's where Warren first, I'd already known Greg and Dickie both, Right. but that's the first time that Warren had ever met Dickie and and Greg. And we were sitting there mixing down and a lead came up that Warren was playing. And Dickie's sitting right in front of the console and asked, well, who's that playing guitar? I go, that's him, (laughs) Warren. Next day, he invited us out. He was playing with Great Southern then. Right, yeah. And Southern, uh, they yeah. had a show called One for the Sun out at the lake. So he invited us out, so we got in limos the next day, me and Warren and David and Rodeo and Darty. And uh, we pulled in and went backstage, and they had Quiet Riot, the original Right original. Riot. Quiet Riot. Rudy, Rudy Sarzo on bass, yeah, you know. Yeah, The original Quiet Riot was playing. And so we just – and he, when Dickey came on with Great Southern, he got Warren up to do a – one song with him, because we, me and David and Warren was standing on stage right watching, watching him play. So he calls Warren out, and straps on the old Les Paul, and starts playing. And then he looks over when the lead comes up, and he goes, "Take it." And Warren starts playing it, and Dickie's just standing there. And finally, Dicky just throws his hands down and goes to the audience, "It's not me. That's this guy, because he was playing Nick Dicky's I mean, for, for note. stuff, no inflection, everything, man." And so that's the first time that, that's where Warren got his introduction to Dickie. Wow. The, that When we were mixing the underground, second underground album. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a crazy <laughs>
0: story, man. That's a really crazy yeah. story.
1: Then he hired him. And it, the way he got with the band, when they were doing Pattern Disruptive. Yeah. Right before they were doing Pattern Disruptive, Dickie, Nashville got him in there and they were trying to turn him into oh, a yeah, country Oh yeah, when he singer. had that country They were trying to make yeah, it a country Yeah,
0: Yeah, he, he had that country album.
1: So Warren got a call to go in and do him and Dennis' Uh, we'd done some stuff, an album together, and Dennis and Warren's vocals really meshed good on harmonies. So they called both of them. A producer called them in to do backups. Right. And when Warren told me when he walked through the door, Dicky goes, what are you doing here? He said, we're supposed to be doing backup harmonies. So they did backup harmonies, and then he got Matt Apps to play drums and yeah. Warren and a Pickle, a friend of mine that used to play with, uh, I forgot now, but Pickle to play bass and they did the Pattern Disruptive album for Dickey, and then A&R guy from CBS came down Uh, I did a showcase with a band I was writing with then called Crystal Zoo so A&R guy came down to listen to us and uh, he had this idea he wanted to get the brothers back together so when he decided he talked to Dickey and Greg and they decided we were going to get the my Brothers back together they needed a bass player and a and uh, and I was already obligated to Leon, so I wish I could have took it. But a friend of mine, uh, Woody, uh, yeah. took it, Alan Woody. Yeah, Alan Woody. Yeah. Yeah. He auditioned. They told me uh, Warren told me Go Greg told me that Woody got the job because all the bass players came in with little ba- amps and stuff. And <laughs> came in the Woody came right? in with a fucking wall of sound, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. But uh, but uh, Dicky told me that Warren was first call. Oh really? For guitar so they called Warren and they put and we all went to to, uh, Memphis and they rented a warehouse over there and we stayed in my band went over we were playing uh, we were cutting a record uh, uh, I got it on uh, Joe what's his name Joe Walsh guitar player Yeah. he had a studio in Memphis we were cutting our record at and uh, we were staying at the Peabody Hotel yeah yeah, (laughs) Peabody but uh, we were and that's where they rehearsed, man. So we got to go over and hang out and watch them that's rehearse. Cool. you know. And and then they went out and they had a, a friend of mine playing keyboards, a blind, blind guy. Uh, he was something else, a hell of a keyboard player, but he was just too much for Dickey. Right. He wasn't, he's great. I mean, he was an A-list call for right. keyboards in Nashville, but right. his style was a little bit too advanced right. for Allman Brothers. Right. You know, he just just too much playing yeah. and Dickie didn't have, Dickie had a problem with it. So I think he lasted about several months and then they just dropped him and right. just went back to the regular format. Sure. You know, just yeah. Greg playing keyboards. Right, and I like that better anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, I got I got lucky. I got to sit there in a the warehouse and watch him play. That's crazy. Yeah, That's so, crazy. I mean, I didn't ever become friends with Dickie because he was kind of standoffish, but the rest of the guys, we all got along Warren got on me once. Uh, I used to go to the Auburn Brothers show. I hung out with him for about eight months on the road, but then I used to go to the shows, and and uh, me and J-Mo got to be really good friends. Yeah. So when it came time for the drum solo, <laughs> J-Mo would look over, because he didn't play his solo anyway. Right. You know? And uh, he'd look over, Mick. He had this high-pitched voice that tickled me. Mick. i said, yeah, let's go down and eat. Man, they'd have lobster. Oh yeah, I'm sure they do. Yeah, shit. Yeah, 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 So after a while, Warren came up and said, "Man, is the only reason you come to the show so you can so eat? eat?" I'm like, "Well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. That's
0: pretty much it. Yeah, that's
1: pretty much it." <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the original Alvin Brothers. Okay. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I yeah. saw the
1: originals twice. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: but J-Mo's a kick, man. He's something else. Yeah, that's
0: that's that's really cool. Yeah. So so where we go next on this trip?
1: Yeah, well, the book's out. It's selling really good, and um, what I'm doing is just doing book signings, radio interviews. I've got to go to Alabama next week, station down there. Then i got another station outside of Asheville. I've got to do a station up there. But I'm just doing, like, radio interviews now to get the word out. Um, got a couple of sites out. I've got one site on Facebook called Stories from the Road, with David Allen Co. I got another one called Life on the Road with David Allen Co. and uh, how can they get your book? They can go to uh, my book company. It's called Book Baby. It's up north uh, in New Jersey, and if you want to order a book, it's twenty four ninety five plus three or four dollars shipping. You go to store dot bookbaby dot and that way. And when you get to the site, just type in the uh, title of the book My Life on the Road with David Coe, it'll take you right to the order page where you can fill out you your know, information right. or if you're lucky enough to see me on one of my book signings or you can go to my Facebook page Mickey Hayes and if you want an autograph copy then you can just uh, uh, it's got my address on there you can send me a cashier's check money order PayPal cash app right. whatever you want to pay me $24.95 plus $4 shipping Right. And I can sign. I, I've been doing a lot of that this week, signing books right. and just shipping them out. But the orders now, it's not too big. I can take care of it. Right. Uh, if it gets to the point, then I got to get somebody else. But right now, I can take care of it. So you're getting more personalized. Right order exactly. now, right now you are. But yep. you can go to uh, uh, Mickey Hayes, P.O. Box 1784, Asheville, North Carolina, 28802. And that'll be my p.o box and just you know send a payment and i'll send you one right off in the mail I all
0: right one one take us from when you first started playing take us back to that how to, we get to the point where you played
1: you yeah. you, you
0: you're, you're still playing you've written a book about it but how did it all start
1: i started in the first grade the teacher took us to the auditorium and uh i was about six seven years six years old and she held up this plastic recorder flute yeah. and asked if anybody wanted to learn how to play flute and I raised my hand I didn't know what it was I didn't oh. raise my hand I can get out of class yeah but, uh, so I started playing recorder flute and then in the third grade I started playing what they called auto harp yeah and then in the uh, I had an uncle Roy that used to come over with an old silver tone guitar And he would play all these old country songs, you know, Del Reeves and all that stuff. And I just sit there and listen to him playing all these songs and it got me hooked. So when I was uh, 15, my mama bought me a a 1965 Fender jazz bass. Wow. I was sunburst finish, I was hot dogging. Yeah. She ordered a catalog from Sears and back in them days the Sears truck would pull up, you know, with the clothes or whatever. My amplifier was bigger than I was, so I was the hot kid on the block. But I, yeah, you know, I played in various bands, you know, growing up. I went to Memphis and when I was sixteen and cut a record, thought I was, and we had it on the drive-in theater. They had a little oh, melody, yeah. melody room under the screen where all those teenagers yeah. hang, hang yeah. out while our parents were watching yeah. ju- the movie, and we had our forty-five on the jukebox. No, that's cool. Man. So we were big. Oh yeah. walk in, you know, but. Uh, I just kept playing bass and I played with various bands and and then I went on the road. Uh, I had a band in Greenville, North Carolina called Tenth Avenue Band and Hit Attractions picked Ted us up. Hall. Yeah, Ted Hall. I for yeah, Ted. <laughs> and so they up and down the East Coast sure. and, and
0: ride past one and come back to it. Teddy's we we're,
1: were the house band. Um, our manager Danny bersini had a club called the Elbow Room, which is um, where I've this is uh, before I met him but Ed King was playing in oh. the band up the street a place called The Attic Oh, okay. that's when he got the call to go down Skinner. he said some band called me called Leonard Skinner I said yeah he said yeah they want to hire me I said I think I've heard of them you might want to go <laughs> <laughs> but I had met Ed years before I was playing with a group called Big Brother out of Santa Barbara California and we pulled up to a show at, uh, at some university in outside of atlanta and uh I, I was playing bass with them and and strawberry alarm clock yeah At mm-hmm. king's band ed kings we were on yeah. stage playing they were before us and they had morphed into a blues band it had a harmonica player you yeah know? they weren't doing strawberry right. incense, so they and doing? Yeah, incense and peppermint yeah. but they were on stage playing so that was my first run in with ed and then later on we both ended up in greenville i was playing with the crystal i mean uh uh, 10th avenue band and he was playing with the house band at the attic a right. friend of mine tom haynes on and uh uh that's the first actually when i saw the allman brothers for real yeah they were playing the attic later moved up the street but then it was in the alleyway right behind us at the elbow room so on my break they were playing so on my break i went walked down the alley and went in tom was friends so he let me in and the capacity was 300 people and I got to saw the raw, unadulterated Almond Fucking the Brothers. brothers right from I mean, the with all the boys, the original band. I saw them a couple of times. That's really cool. And they were hot, man. But yeah, and then I just Tenth Avenue. I left. I went to Band of Oz, and then then about a year later is when I got the call to go with David.
0: Band of Oz, totally different than anything
1: you'd done, wasn't it? Yeah, it was kind of wild. We were doing. Cause I mean, like, they were
0: a successful beach band.
1: Oh, they still are. Oh, they still are. Yeah. And I agree. we were doing, what got me is I got drinking really bad. Yeah. Uh, I got drinking really bad. And, uh, cause I had to, we would do one show, a set just mm-hmm. playing. And then we do a show where the band members, I'd stand on stage and MC it. Right. So I had to get drunk to be able to oh, get yeah, be able to MC I just it. couldn't stand it. So right. after about a year, I said, we were in Macon, Georgia and I, I told him a week before, I said, Macon's my last job. So they flew this other guy in the day before, and I played the show that night. And the other guy had already played with him, so he knew the stuff. But I remember I got etchings off the gravesite.
0: Oh, in Macon, yeah. uh, the, the Allman Brothers.
1: Yeah, you can't do that now. Yeah, I'm sure you can. But I went up and I got the etching. That's too cool. And, you know, laid yeah, my paper down and sure. got the etching. Yeah. And I gave them to a friend of mine. He's a, a attorney up in New York. But, um, yeah, that was my first running with all my brothers when I was playing in the elbow room and then later on we just kept running into each other and I made friends with all the band except Dickey I don't think he ever forgave me we were when A and R guy first got the band back together we rehearsed at SR studios in Nashville so we we're up there that day rehearsing and Greg's not there so Bert Holman was the road manager yeah and Bert, and he went out of the room for a while and I was sitting there with Dickie's wife while they were rehearsing and Dickie kept looking at me. <laughs> so Dickie comes over and starts giving me some shit. I'm like, you're a little bit too short and small to be giving me shit. I didn't say that to him. <laughs> right. but I just looked at him. He thought I was flirting with his right. old lady. I said, look, I'm not here to pick up your wife. I'm just right. here with Warren. Blah, 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 blah. I said, walked <laughs> But uh, Bert came back out. <laughs> we had, Warren asked him and said, was that Greg? And he said, "No, that was the Harley Davidson dealership in Little Rock, Arkansas. Wondering if we knew where where Greg was because he came in three days ago to test ride a Harley, and we haven't seen him since."
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was when Greg was. And, and later on, he came down, and we actually did a show when we we, we were in uh, the Keys getting ready to. Go back on tour, so we were going to do a warm-up show on the street. We had this warehouse rented right beside Sloppy Joe's on the corner, yeah. and the warehouse had a big parking lot in front and a loading dock. So they set us up on the loading dock. The road crew set us up on the loading dock, and it was open-air concert. So Greg came down early, and we just got back from Southernmost Beach, looking at all the women with no sure. tops on, yeah. and we saw this. David talking to this long-haired blonde guy, and David has a reputation of just picking people off the street and putting them on stage. So yeah. we're like, oh, shit. He's picking some hippie up off the street. Right. Got closer, it was Greg. So we started talking, and uh, David goes, where'd you, where'd you park at? And Greg goes, right out there. It's that Corvette, brand-new Corvette. So David says, well, he got two of our roadies to go. He said, y'all go stand guard and guard his car. <laughs> so they went out and stood by his car looking all mean and Hell shit. Yeah and David left and Greg had just got a royalty check so he had a big bag in his pocket. Oh
0: yeah.
1: I said, "What about your car?" he says, "The fucking rental. said, so steal it They'll bring me another one." <laughs> so we lovely. went back in the back and did a bunch of candy and
0: yeah.
1: and uh, he came on the next night and, and played with us.
0: Reckon he kept that motorcycle?
1: <laughs> I never know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah that was back I in the you days know, know, oh, yeah. before
1: he finally realized this shit's sure. killing me. I need yeah. to quit. Oh, yeah. But Greg's a good old guy, man. Me and him got along really good. That's good. You know, huh? Yeah, it was great. I got to hang out at the shows, be on the road with him for a while, you know, and just be part of the family, I guess. That's really good. Did on. Lucky. Very lucky to be in the right place at the right time.
0: Where are you at these days?
1: Selling this book yeah selling your book this is my old age pension i hear you but yeah i just through the years i'd have all these stories and people get me drunk and i'd start telling stories and they just sit around and look and like really attentive and they kept telling me man write a book write a book write it for years and years so seven years ago i started writing and it took me seven years to finish it. to get it
0: done a lot of stories to go through a lot right? of
1: stories a lot of stuff and it amazed me, the further along I got writing the book, it got to where I could remember the day, what time it was, what they were wearing, what we wow. were talking about. That's cool. It's just like it, a key that started unlocking all when, these doors. Once it
0: started, it just kept on? It just, it's like that's a cool. song.
1: You don't know where it comes from sometimes. Right, yeah, that's true. It just comes to you. Right. So you just write it. Man. And then you do revisions, and yeah. I did, I don't know how many revisions oh, I'm on sure. this damn thing. then I gave it to my editor, and we went over there countless hours, and Went through everything, and then she designed me a book cover and a, in the back for it. Oh, I'll show you. I got one. Oh, I got a
0: bunch of them. <laughs> no, I'm going to buy one, so.
1: And my friend did the, I oh, thought that was a good picture. That's a good picture. That's Dale, the oldest son. Okay. And then we got a, I like this, the backstage shot. Oh, yeah, that's good. I like that's that. the warden. Yep, there you go. <laughs> that's me with the hat on, kind of trying to stay out of the way in my monday. I
0: hear,
1: you. I hear you. But it's got like 150. I didn't know how many until my editor told me it's got 150 pictures. Wow. that's But cool. it's, I'll tell you, I'm real big on, I learned this from David. If you're going to go out there, just be as damn flagrant. And just you know, so I learned all that. I, I call him in the book. I look at David, and I see the P.T. Barnum of country music. There you go. But uh, it's got a shitload of Oh, we're on streaming. I can it's do okay. That yeah, you can say what you want, to. I got, I like, oh, the Black Panther, underage. We had a pet Black Panther on the bus. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, DAC's birthday, that was a while. Oh, drive the bus to the bar.
0: Oh, no. that sounds like a, yeah, well, you need to you need to read that one.
1: <laughs> Lights Came Crashing Down. That don't sound good. Yeah. Slidell, the drum hide. Uh-oh. He bought this electronic drum. He'd heard them. They were big then, you know. Yeah. And it made one sound. Woo! Woo! <laughs> so I'm sitting on the bus. He showed me, and he had it set up on stage, and the warm-up band's playing. And because we didn't have no fucking AC on, our band bus was a 1960 Silver Eagle junk bus. <laughs> So I'm sitting there with a window down. I hear the band playing. They sounded pretty good. And then all of a sudden I hear, boo, boo. I'm like, okay, he's used that on one song. Then the next song, boo. I'm like, fuck this. So they quit playing. I went in and took that electronic drum and hit it where nobody could fucking find it. David came in. Was the drum? I said, it malfunctioned, man. I'll try and figure out what's wrong with it, but I don't think we'll be able to use it tonight.
0: That's funny.
1: So... <laughs> that was the end of the electronic... David's attention span is very short.
0: Oh, that's, that's a good thing, right? So
1: he forgot all about it. Yeah. And I never... I didn't you know, I didn't even bother going to get it. I just left it I just where left I hid it. it said, Somebody else will find it. There you go. Good luck. <laughs> that's
0: funny, man. That's funny.
1: But it's got some wild stories, you know. Uh, you know, going to the convenience store at 4 o'clock in the morning after he would played that private Mm-mm. concert rode my bicycle. I kept a bicycle in the back of the truck so I wouldn't have to up. We had, all, everybody in the band had a Harley in the back of uh, Darty's truck, merchandise truck. Mater was our uh, Kenworth driver and our Harley mechanic, and he would back our Harleys out. 20 miles before we'd get into a town, we, would, uh, we were doing Beaumont, Texas, <coughs> and doing a TV station came out. We knew they were coming out. So, 20 miles out of town, we pulled our usual operant motive operant that was back Harley's out 20 miles out of town, put a little dust on us and ride to Harley's in the town because we had the image <laughs> right yeah. The, yeah, yeah, we're outlaws right we get into town and we had a, we lined them up pictures in the book we've all got our bikes lined up by the trucks you know right. they took a picture and the guy came in did a radio a TV interview. But that was the thing, you know. We'd be on the bus smoking pot and looking <laughs> at the TV and about, about 20 miles out of town. Oh, get yeah. the Harleys out. Uh, we rode 600 miles to get here. <laughs>
0: that's
1: hilarious. That's, that's, that's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, well, you got, he was big on the image. He was, you know, he mm. didn't give a shit what anybody thought. Uh, that's it, what I liked about the well, guy. Well,
0: his, his image is every bit outlaw, of, isn't of it? yeah. I mean, it's well, everything he, that he is. He is an
1: outlaw. Yeah. I mean, he's the only outlaw I know. That retired could retire, you know, blood yeah, in, blood right, out. Right. Yeah. He's the only one I know that he's still got his colors. Right. Uh, doesn't know that uh, we were in Baton route no, New Orleans, outside of New Orleans, a place called Jimmy's across the uh, Huey P. Long Bridge, and I was on the bus, and Popco Popco had a hearing problem. He had a hearing aids. He comes onto the bus. He goes, Mickey. I said, what? And we had these two bikers, uh, B- Mandota and Bertha. They make a Harley Road King look like a super 90 Har- oh, Honda. It was a big, big guy, but they were inside. And uh, the outlaws would always send people out different states. We'd, and they'd send several of the club members out to do right. security. So Pop comes out, and he didn't have his hearing aids in. He goes Mick. He had that new that Yankee a- uh, accent. Mick. I said what? Pop he said, What the hell is a cutaway I said what? A cutaway so yeah. Bertha said they're gonna have to take they're gonna have to take these cut way. I said, fuck, I don't know. So I went in and it was funny, Bertha and Mandota had set up a bur- a booth. And they were selling this little uh back in the old days you get a nickel bag of pot. Yeah, little, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had those and a piece of ha- a little clip of hair in each one. <laughs> I said, What the fuck is that? Oh, we're selling these. I said, David's hair. I said that's not David's hair," I said. "Yeah, we went to a wig shop and got a wig and just cut little pieces off." I'm like, "Don't do that!" <laughs> they were selling fake hair. just part of David's hair. But anyway, I said, "What the fuck is this with Pop?" He said, "Y'all cut us way." What the fuck is a cut us way? Well, evidently, a guy from a different group had come in flying his colors, and they told him to take them off. And He said no, and they kicked his ass and took his colors away. Oh. They took his colors away. Oh. <laughs> I went back to the bus and said, pop. What put you down here in eight? In
0: that's funny, that's really funny. <laughs> that's that's just hilarious.
1: I got a million of them, yeah. I figured, yeah, I might as well write one before I pass on. You should. I'm glad you did. But I wanted the whole gist of the book is to let people know up front, unfiltered, this is what it was. Right? He's a great guy, he's a genius he's a hell of a showman if you can keep a damn unruly crowd of outlaw bikers and bikers quiet for an hour yeah you're doing damn you and he could do that and uh so i I just i just admired a guy and i wanted the people to know the real david right i mean flaws and all sure you know of course ain't nobody perfect right since jesus went away yeah but uh i wanted the people to know what the real life and what it was really like and what he was really like right and at the end of the story, the book i paid homage to him i tell people it, it was one hell of a ride i was lucky to be there i learned so much right songwriting blah 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 yeah he's hard to get along with we had a lot of bad times we had more good times right and so it's just my way of showing people the truth right. instead of all this shit they write about sure him, you know well, I got one last question before I let you go. Oh, hell. Uh, well, the Statue of Limitations has run out, so.
0: <laughs> Are you going back to work for him again?
1: <laughs> well, him, his wife and I do not get along. Mm-hmm. I'll just leave it at that.
0: Okay, that's, 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 that's fair enough. <laughs> well, listen, I appreciate you coming and doing this. Oh, we'll no We'll put problem. this out. Maybe we can sell you a bunch
1: of books. Uh hey uh you guys are funding my retirement so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just look just google Mickey Hayes and you'll see me it's it's all over the place right, good a... or bad uh,
0: <laughs> well that's the the best stories you know are the good and the bad <laughs>
1: yeah there's so. some good ones there's some that's some really weird ones and uh <laughs> but well, I, it's an honest book oh, you get and, everything in that book actually Believe it or not, everything in that book actually happened. happened. And I, I guess
0: there's a ton of stuff you couldn't put in that book.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, there's a lot of people that are still alive and they're married. Right. And, gotcha. Uh, so I didn't want to go. Sure. Too, too deep. Too yeah. deep. Yeah. I mean, I went deep, but uh, there's certain things you know yeah. you, you respect about friends. Sure. And, but uh, you know, even though my. Guitar tech got busted in New Orleans and didn't see him for three days because he got busted for pissing in the alley. <laughs> he showed up the day we were supposed to leave.
0: <laughs> there you go. I,
1: I know the assume the position up by the bus by heart. <laughs> put it that way. There you go. But, yeah, by the book, I, I think I've got nothing but good reviews so far. I've got really good reviews on the book and the – so, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's also a legacy for me. Sure. I've got three boys. Yeah. And they're grown up now. And it's kind of a legacy that I can pass on to them. And they to. Want your to grandkids, and they can I'm pass sure. it on sure. and pass it on so they can remember who their sure. dad and grandfather or sure. whatever it was.
0: Mickey, I appreciate you coming and doing
1: this. No problem, man. I appreciate you having like you. me. Thank you. Every little bit helps. All right.